Hello, and welcome to NANCAST. I'm Jill, your host. Advanced Practice Registered Nurses, or APRNs, are an integral part of the care of newborns and infants in multiple sites, including all levels of neonatal intensive care units, well baby nurseries, follow-up clinics, PICUs, cardiovascular ICUs, and pediatric offices. This is not just limited to nurse practitioners, but neonatal clinical nurse specialists as well. Neonatal APRNs are neonatal nurses with specialized education in the care of the newborn and infants up to two years of age and are one of the few specialties that are both primary and acute care. The National Association of Neonatal Nurse Practitioners, NANAP, represents neonatal APRNs within the NAN organization. NAN wants to represent all APRNs in the neonatal world, so here on NANCAST, we have developed a special series to communicate with all of our APRN members to share hot topics and new developments for APRNs as well as NICU nurses. On our first episode of NANCAST APRN series, we are going to discuss the hot topic of the NNP shortage. The bedside nursing shortage is all over the media right now. However, we aren't hearing much in terms of advanced practice nurse shortage, but we all know it's there. Has this crisis crossed over into the realm of APRNs? What are some strategies that could be implemented to prevent this shortage? It is up to us to strengthen our efforts and develop more innovative ways to recruit talented nurse practitioners. Today, I'm joined by Council Chair, NNP, and DNP Program Director at the University of Tennessee College of Nursing, Bobby Belfour, as well as Michelle Savin, an NNP and NNP Program Director at Thomas Jefferson College of Nursing, to share their perspective on this issue. Let's get right into it. We're all aware of the bedside nurse shortage. It's all over the media, especially now um, during the COVID pandemic. We aren't really hearing much in terms of advanced practice nurse shortage, um, but we all know it's there. We're at the bedside. We, we can see that we don't have as many NNPs that we did previously. Why do you think we have this issue with a shortage of neonatal nurse practitioners? I think one of the reasons that we have the shortage of neonatal nurse practitioners is that we don't have the number of neonatal nurses going into APRN practice, whether it's clinical nurse specialist or neonatal nurse practitioners. And when you talk to neonatal nurses and ask them why they choose not to go, and Michelle and Barb can address this too, but when I talk to them, they say, well, I don't want to work weekends, as many weekends as you have to work, or I don't want to work nights. I don't want to be your age and still have to work so many nights. Of course, that makes me feel old, you know. But um, that that's one of the things that they tell me. So as an NNP, you will have to work nights and weekends. It's a 24-7 job. But it is so rewarding. I absolutely love what I do. Michelle, what do you hear? A similar thing, Bobby. I think there's um, certainly many of us who are of an age where we're getting closer to retirement. And I, at this point, there's a lot of um, an older skewed population of our group as a, as a whole for neonatal nurse practitioners. And I do hear about you know, concerns about work-life balance and about the, the types of schedule that you have. 
I think that's the best thing about my job. I think that I would never have wanted a Monday through Friday job. I think the flexibility I get by working all different types of shifts at all different types of hours, especially different lengths of shifts if, and different um, units. So I work in a level one, a level two, a level three, because the system I work within has um, several different level hospitals that I rotate through. And when my children were little, I used to joke that I was a part-time nurse practitioner and a full-time mom as opposed to a, you know, a part-time mom and a full-time nurse practitioner. And that's because... I could work my schedule so that I could be home with them a lot of times when I needed to be home with them. Um, I can cluster days together. I can work longer hours. I can choose to work more weekends to help out my colleagues and um, be home during the day when they get off the school bus or to get them um, off to school when when they were younger. I think that flexibility and the teamwork that you have it's a little bit different when you have a large unit and you have, you know, a hundred nurses who are trying to fill out a schedule book and, and make decisions and about what's going to happen. When you're working with a, a smaller group of NPs, there's a lot of camaraderie and there's also a lot of give and take and a lot of flexibility. So the teamwork that we have in our groups is, is really a key. Um, it's like family. And I, I really want to encourage people to think about that. I also hear from people, oh, I'm scared. I don't think I could do it. And I just, that is just not so not true. There is the ability for many people to do advanced practice and advanced practice has lots of angles to it. When you're in NNP, you can focus at the bedside, but you can focus on uh, QI projects. You can focus on um, doing parent education. You can focus on the follow-up clinic. You can focus on the the delivery room, the transports. We have so many fun different aspects to our job that we're trained to do that is so important that um, I really want to encourage um, staff nurses, think about it, give it a try, and um, you can go slow. You don't have to eat the whole elephant. You can go a few classes at a time, Um, but there's a program out there for everybody. There's a program that is an online program, an asynchronous program, a a didactic in-person program. There's a lot of flexibility out there for staff nurses who want to think about advanced practice. And that's the beauty, I think, um, as a bedside nurse, the ability to um, self-schedule. And I think that carries on, um, you know, as a, as a nurse practitioner in the advanced practice role as well. Um, you know, it's a, it's a shame because there are a lot of very experienced bedside NICU nurses that choose to go an outpatient route to get away from the hospital schedule, but it, it still can be flexible, just like you mentioned. And, you know, there's many programs out there that will fit anybody's lifestyle, um, you know, if, they're, if they want to go back to school and, and pursue um, an advanced practice degree. Jill, you bring up a really good point, and I'm, I'm sure Bobby can speak to this as well, but as a neonatal program director, I can't tell you, I have conversations regularly with NNP or NICU nurses who say, I'm going to go get a PNP or an FNP because I like that schedule better. I think that I would be happier in my work-life balance. So many of them come back and get a post-master certificate with me and come back to the NICU and become NNPs after they have a nurse practitioner degree um, in another subspecialty. When the NICU holds your heart, that's where you want to be. And um, I, I encourage people who are thinking about, oh, I want to do advanced practice, but maybe I'll be a PMP or maybe I'll be an FNP. Um, really think about the population you want to work with. We certainly are happy to get postgrad certificate students 
back into our programs, but we would like you to be able to go to a program and meet your goals from the very beginning. And by the way, when you practice as an APRN, you have to have specialty hours in the competencies that you are trained for. So if you become a PNP or an FNP, you have to practice across that whole spectrum to keep your certification up. So you can't be a PNP and only work with small children. And you can't be an FNP and only work with children up to age 18. You're going to have to deal with the, the population focus, the entire population focus of that MP specialty. Bobby? That's right. I agree with that 100%. I can't tell you the number of students that we have that come back, just like Michelle's program, that come back and say, I thought I wanted to be an FNP, but there's really no such thing as an eight to five job. FNPs or PNPs oftentimes have to work on the weekends. They work in um, urgent care centers, things like that. So in today's world, there's really no such thing as a nine to five job. And many people find that they're very unhappy in that situation and they come back and get um, postgraduate certificates in the NNP world and they're so much happier because many of them have only ever worked as a neonatal nurse. So I would encourage neonatal nurses that if you're looking into the APRN world, just as Michelle said, and but you can't decide. You think that ha having a primary care PNP focus will give you better work-life balance. That does not always work. And so talk to someone very carefully, decide what you want and where you want to do it, and go from there. I think one of the other things that we do want to talk about is how the NNP shortage affects other aspects of APR in practice in the NICU. I also just want to point out that, you know, the neonatal nurse practitioner role is both primary care and acute care. You can't get that really anywhere else. And if you are really love follow-up clinic or older children within our scope, you want to be in a developmental follow-up clinic and do more of those neonatal primary care things, you can do that with your NNP. Our scope of practice is zero to two. And there, there are opportunities to do lots of different niche things within neonatology. But yes, within the NICU itself, it is challenging when we have an NMP shortage and then the hospitals and, and um, you know, upper management are scrambling to fill those roles. And as, as you see, not always with people who have the same background and, and knowledge base that the NNP gets when she's in school or he's in school to become a, specifically a neonatal nurse practitioner. Absolutely. And I think it makes a big difference in the type of, of care that we can offer. Many of our neonatal nurses think that NICU, as Michelle said, think that NICU is just a level three or a level four within the NICU. But as I get older, I sometimes find that I really like doing some of the follow-up care. And it lets me see what happens after our babies go home. Some of the other niche aspects of neonatal care, in, in our area, we are considering 
um, having some of our NNPs specialize in cardiology so that we would have a NNP that focuses on cardiac babies and would work in the CVICU, which is right next door to the NICU, those types of things. So there are many, many opportunities for areas that, that you really enjoy. Now, cardiology is not my favorite area. That's not what I want to do, but there are some people that really, really love that aspect of things. Early in my career, I worked in the um, well baby nursery as well. We rotated through the NICU, the transport call, the well baby nursery, and the follow-up clinic. And there are ways you can negotiate different aspects of that of the role and ways that um, current practitioner groups can expand their impact across all of the competencies of the NMP. But we need enough people who are there to be able to make that work. And so it's a little bit chicken and egg, but... When you see something that doesn't look ideal to you as a staff nurse, that doesn't mean that's the way that that role is going to stay. And you could impact that if you joined that team and actually expand the capability of that team. And, and we want you all to really think about that. Yeah, and I think that, you know, by us discussing this, you know, bedside nurses see that there's more than just the NNP that works um, in the NICU. Like Bobby mentioned, you could work in the cardiac ICU. There's nurses that, bedside nurses that don't really find delivery rooms is something that they, you know, feel comfortable, but maybe they don't have to take a role where they have to attend deliveries. There's a lot of possibilities. And I think it's great to have this discussion to really, you know, educate, you know, nurses, bedside nurses, that there is more than just, a, you know, a, a true hospital NMP role. Um, that they can have a lot of different avenues that they can take that might, you know, meet with their interests or, or what, they, um, what they feel that they specialize in. Right. And I think if they would take, if many of our bedside nurses who are so very talented and, and, they took such good care of our babies. I think if they would talk to some of the experienced APRNs and maybe find out that, okay, there is, maybe it's not exactly the schedule I want, but there are more things to life than just your schedule. So there are ways we can work out your schedule to help with your childcare, to help with other things that you have to do. And oftentimes you'll find that your NNP teams are so close. I have lifelong friends that I worked with 25 years ago that I haven't seen in 20 years, but I can call them right now. And, and it's just like I saw them yesterday. So our teams are small, but we're really very close in many aspects of things. And that's a wonderful way to live your professional life. And I think the NNPs in most units have such a great relationship with the bedside nurse and we rely on NNPs so heavily and we believe in them and we feel comfortable when they um, are, you know, taking care of our babies or, you know, I work night shift. So we see a lot more NPs on nights versus during the day. Um, and, you know, I, I see them and I'm like, okay, we're going to be fine because, you know, she's on or he's on. And, you know, I, and I, I think that we have a, a unspoken kind of trust and bond, um, NICU nurses with the, with the NPs and that, that relationship, you know, you, you can't find that. 
um, you know, amongst the nurses and um, the residents or the fellows. You see that more with the NPs. Who are you going to call if something's wrong? You want, you want your NP there sometimes. Um, and, you know, you find yourself in the corner calling the NP, say, you got to get out here. You got to see what's going on because that's who we feel comfortable with because we have such a trusting relationship with them. We value that, by the way. We trust our nurses and we listen to them and we teach our students to, you know, listen to your nursing intuition, but really listen to the eyes at the bedside and the nurses who are there. And hopefully that's a symbiotic relationship. I'm going to tell every staff nurse who's listening to this podcast you know, ask the NNP to show you the x-ray, ask the NNP to talk to you about the blood gas, ask the NNP, you know, what, what they think about something that, that you're seeing or, or anything you're curious about. We love to teach them and we want everybody to, to come along and, and be the best caregivers that they can be. So that, that relationship really goes both ways. It really does. We, we teach our students the same thing. If a nurse calls you and tells you there's something wrong, then you need to go to the bedside and investigate what she has told you. And oftentimes we get calls after they've already called the fellow or the resident and they say, well, call me if something else happens. Then we'll get another call and say, I I call the fellow, (laughs) but, you know, I really think somebody needs to come look at this baby. So we'll go look at that baby and we tell our students, when you get a call, it's just like when you get a call from the mom. Who knows that baby better than the nurse that's been at the bedside for 12 hours, three days in a row, or the mom that's been there with the nurse three days in a row, and they tell you there is something going on here that is different, then you need to go investigate that. And so we we think that's so important that our students know and understand that. And of course, many or most of our students are working neonatal nurses while they're going to school. So they, they tend to value that, just as Michelle said, because they've been in that situation just as we've been in that situation too. So I, we do want, our, we want the bedside nurses to understand that we appreciate them so much. It's great to be on the team together and to have that that symbiotic trust, to be able to figure out the best treatment for the baby, to guide that sick baby all the way through the process and, and guide the family and be able to meet the challenges and then discharge them and, and follow them up. Um, something that's really important for bedside nurses to think about when they're considering the role is the fact that we're becoming more and more autonomous, that in a level three unit, it's an interprofessional team all day, every day, and we value that interprofessional team. But more and more states are um, evolving toward more autonomous practice. And in the primary care aspect of our role, you know, you could go and open up a developmental follow-up clinic, for example. You could um, work and and um, independently, or you know, along with a team. You are going to, especially as as the roles grow and the autonomy grows, um, as more states embark on um, independent full licensure and top of license practice. There's going to be um, a role for a neonatal nurse practitioners to to really evolve, and you could be part of that evolution. That's right. It depends. There are now, I think, 24 states that have full practice authority, and it will depend on what state you live in. But 
that's almost half the country has full practice authority where you would have the right to develop your own clinic. How cool is that? So you can be, you know, that's an ultimate in charge of your own schedule and your work-life balance if you have your own clinic. Um, and, and, and developmental care, that's such a, that's a that's cornerstone right. of, of a bedside neonatal nurse, right? And, you know, if, if you love that and you love neurodevelopmental outcomes, like yeah. that's the great, that's a great role that you can take and advance your degree and, and be able to open up that clinic, um, you know, and support those babies after discharge. Right. You could even be doing research um, and mm-hmm. advancing the the core knowledge base in neonatology. It's harder hard to do those um, long term types of studies, but um, even if you wanted to address family care, uh, there's a lot of different aspects that you could um, touch on as um, an, an advanced practice nurse. You know, our our primary role certainly is at the bedside, but we do. Um, education and we do um, research and we do um, advocacy and you know all of these things are, are aspects of the role and you can do as much or as little as that as you want the other thing that that Bobby mentioned is the different um, across the country right now each state has a different sort of um, nurse practice act and and different rules that you work under the shortage is more acute in some places than others and if you're somebody who has an interest in a challenge um if you were a travel nurse for example or if you've always thought that you wanted to do something like that and challenge yourself to go someplace different and try something new there are opportunities across the country to to go and do that and if you're younger in your career and you have a little bit more flexibility, the sky is the limit for places you can go across the country. Once you have an APRN license, you can get licensed in other states. Um, the certification is a national one that we all sit for. And um, then you can go and advance your practice in, in lots of different areas. And there is opportunity um, for jobs and for development in lots of different places across the country. Right. And... You know, a lot of people love being travelers as nurses and as APRNs. But in many institutions, travel travel APRNs work in many unique situations. You can work in a level four NICU where you do have lots of surgeries and um, endocrine disorders and things like that. You can work in a level three, a busy delivery hospital. You can work in a level two where you are on call for 24 to 48 hours at a time and may have one or two deliveries, things like that. So it is, and then you get to see parts of the country that are, that you may never have traveled to. So it can be very interesting. So with this uh, neonatal nurse practitioner shortage, how is this directly affecting NICUs and how they run and how they operate on a day-to-day basis? One of the issues that has occurred with the shortage of NNPs is that there are other providers that have started practicing in the NICU, such as PAs or physician assistants and acute care, pediatric acute care nurse practitioners. Pediatric acute care nurse practitioners have a scope of practice from 35 weeks or greater. And PAs oftentimes have finished a fellowship in neonatology. And their education is a lot different than nursing education. So that is one of the things that I think is becoming more prevalent in some NICUs. 
That's why it's so important that we encourage our bedside nurses to, to go to school, to enter the APRN workforce, and to be neonatal nurse practitioners because they have an expertise that many other people that have never worked in the NICU specifically will be able to bring to the bedside as an APRN. Michelle, you want to weigh in on that? Yes, it, it is a shortage and it is frustrating um, because we want to bring more people into our profession and we want to show you the, the joys of our role. Um, there was a workforce survey done um, by NAN and administrators do want NNPs. They recognize the value of the history and the experience that NNPs bring to the table. Um, these providers have history as, and specific education and training. You have to have two years of level three or four NICU experience to come into a program um, to become an NNP. So you start with a background that other people just don't have, even if somebody is, is trained like a PA in a fellowship. And in terms of the, the, the pediatric nurse practitioners, while they certainly have education in some of these areas, they, their national certification does not speak to neonatal competencies except for a very small portion of that 35 to 40 week um, piece. It doesn't really speak to um, care in an intensive care nursery. And um, PAs are nationally certified as generalists, not as neonatal specialists. So there is an educational piece and an understanding that a neonatal nurse brings to the neonatal nurse practitioner role at in the hospital and at the bedside that these other providers just don't have and the same um, background competencies and they can't fulfill the, the job description and the role in the same way. The specific training and expertise of neonatal nurses and neonatal nurse practitioners is designed for a neonatal intensive care unit. Exactly. What's, you know, what's better than a, a nurse, the bedside nurse with, you know, plenty of years experience at the bedside and attending deliveries to expand their, their role um, and become an advanced practice nurse. Um, they've seen it. They've done it. Um, they, you know, they've learned from the best that will, you know, provide for a great um, practitioner, you know, once they're done the program. We can understand why the shortage um encourages people to look for other ways to um, fill vacancies and to care for babies. But what we know by many years of experience is that the evidence shows us that neonatal nurse practitioners give expert care to neonates. And, and that's um, really what we want to encourage. And, and um, we value all players on the team, but we don't want to see the NNP role be diminished by folks who don't have the same um, training and, and expertise. Um, I'm not saying they don't give good care by any stretch of the imagination. Please don't get me wrong. But what I am saying is that we want the NICU nurses out there and the NNPs out there to encourage people to come back to school and um, even um, for the NMP listeners on this call, we want you to um, bring those those uh, staff nurses into the fold, and we want you to help us in this process. Um, we need you to precept. We need you to help us grow our own, and um, that's something that is, is hugely valuable. You're right, Michelle. We do want people to help us grow our own NNPs, and so it's important that we encourage 
experienced bedside nurses to go back to school to become an NNP, but it's also important that we provide areas and practices for them to, to have their education, that we provide NNPs for preceptors, that we provide clinical sites for the nurse practitioner, for the nurse practitioner students that we encourage to go back to school. So I would encourage you to make sure that you uh, talk as an NNP, that you encourage your best and brightest bedside nurses to go back to school, and that you talk with your leadership and with your hospital and with your NICU about providing a clinical site for the nurse practitioner students and to be preceptors for our nurse practitioner students. That's one of the things that many nurse practitioner students say they have some difficulty with, and that's finding clinical sites close to where they live and finding preceptors. It's up to us as APRNs to act as preceptors. All of us at one point in time had someone that paid it forward that precepted us to get through school. So it's incumbent upon us to pay that back. Bobby, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, there's a lot of talk about burnout, and we certainly see burnout in our staff nurses, in our NNPs, and, and in our preceptors. But you have it in your hands as an NNP to be able to impact the growth of, of those coming after you. Um, I have had NPs tell me that they have to precept other people in the NICU, that they have to precept a PA student, or they have to precept an ER resident, or they have to, to precept somebody else. I would encourage you to talk to your hospital administrations and really find ways that you can support each other and, and build up um, each other. I don't think there's any reason why any profession should be disallowed from precepting um, students within their own profession. And I think we should be really happy to do it. I think that it's also important to realize that the more of us that jump in, the easier it's going to be, right? Many hands make a light load. And um, I think that um, the more, more um, we can encourage preceptors and support preceptors, we as faculty certainly do as much as we can to support them. Um, but we are all going to be better off and our babies are going to be better off if we have more preceptors, more staff nurses who are coming into advanced practice and um, more focus on, on meeting the competencies to, to care for them um, from a nursing perspective and, and a neonatal nursing perspective especially. I can't agree more. I think as an obstacle that you hear a lot um, amongst bedside nurses is how difficult it is for students in the NNP program to find clinical sites, to find preceptors. And I think that could really scare people off from pursuing school um, and going back for an advanced degree because they fear the ability to try to find and connect. Not everybody has preceptors line up or the ability to network to find them. And that's, and that's a huge obstacle and a huge stressor and a cause of anxiety that, you know, are, you already have going back to school. And then to add that on top, I, I think that's a drawback for some, for some nurses to, you know, just to decide to make that leap um, to go back to school. 
What I would say to those nurses, Jill, is we as program directors um, have a responsibility to the students that we admit, and we work really hard hand-in-hand with our students to find them um, the best suitable clinical site. Um, It's not always easy. It's not always perfect. The more NMPs that precept, the better off we'll be. Um, But just like the nursing shortage is variable around the country and the NNP shortage is variable around the country, the availability of preceptors is the same way. It's not the same in Philadelphia as it is in Tennessee, as it is in Wisconsin, or as it is in California. So um, don't be discouraged by that. Talk to the programs you're looking at, ask questions, and um, it's a partnership um, when when we work with students. So um, that shouldn't dissuade people from wanting to apply. Please <laughs> apply, apply. That's right. That's really true. There's about 35 to 37 NNP programs within the country. And as we talked about before, they each one differs in a certain respect. Some are master's programs. Others are BSN to DNP only programs. And so decide what you want. Investigate every program very carefully. Some are absolutely commit to finding preceptors for their students. And if that's going to be an issue for you, then look at those programs very carefully because they will find you students. I mean, will find you preceptors. And that's important. If you happen to work in a unit where you are guaranteed a preceptor if you go back to school, then that's not the most important thing that you're looking for. So investigate all the programs. And on the NAN website, there's a list of all NNP programs throughout the country. So it's very easy to look at all the programs. And many of them have mostly online components. So you don't have to choose a program that's close to where you live. So investigate each one carefully and decide if they have the uh, components that are most important to you as an as a nurse. That's a great point, Bobby. I get um, inquiries from students all over the country, and you know, various programs have the ability to to work in various places. Each state, believe it or not, has rules and regulations about higher education and how that works for the students in their state. So there are sometimes limitations and there are sometimes wide open opportunities. So um, don't just limit yourself. And if you think, oh, there's no NMP program in my state or in my my neighborhood or in my community, um, there are a lot of programs that still could suit you. Um, and I encourage you to um, look around. Different preceptors have students um, come from all around the country. I've had students who have gone to five or six states away and spent a semester there. I always ask my students, you know, do you have a, a neighbor, a friend, a cousin whose couch you can sleep on, you know, for a, a week or two while you're there and then go back and forth if you need to? Um, that we can be really flexible about that. Um, and and people who are willing to precept um, are are really interested in in helping you. And and so sometimes when you reach out through NAN, um, through the the listservs, through the communities, you can find people who are are willing um, to help you out. Um, and you know if your your hospital. Um, 
doesn't contract doesn't exist with the program that you're interested in, um, we can work with you. We can work with different hospitals and different um, with, with our university can to get those contracts in place so that students can have those clinical experiences. Um, that they want to have. The respect that um, practitioners command and the sense of accomplishment you get when you care for a baby from, from birth through discharge, um, when you get to assist in, in the management, when you get to dive deep and figure things out and, and have that curiosity, when you get to work with, with embryology and physiology and you get to challenge yourself in a team situation and, and, um, and work as a leader. And by the way, you as staff nurses are leaders. You, you don't have to have a title to be a leader, but, but the ability that you have to, to lead a code or a resuscitation um, or a group through rounds, it, it just, it can't be measured. It's really something that is, is thrilling and that I encourage all of you to think. Right, and the impact that you have on that baby's life from the very beginning of life, regardless if it's at 23 weeks or 42 weeks, the impact you have on that baby's life is immeasurable. And it's not only on the baby, the impact that you have on the baby's family as a neonatal nurse practitioner is immeasurable. I still talk, I've been an NNP for 34 years and so my oldest patient is 32 year, is 34 years old, and she's a pilot for FedEx. And she calls me at least wow. once a year. I have pictures of her children. Um, she has two little girls. She was born premature, SGA, and both of her girls were premature. And, um, and she knew that that was a risk factor because she was premature. And her, I still talk to her mom a couple of times a year, um, things like that. So the impact that you have on you a baby and, and their family is immeasurable. And staff nurses have a great impact too. But I, I sometimes feel that I get much closer to some of my patients as an NNP than I did as a staff nurse sometimes. It, this, this, we all have innumerable stories. Um, you've been an NMP a little bit longer than me. I'm coming into my 30th year as an NMP. And one of the earliest um, fond memories that I have is um, a, a critically, critically ill baby who um, ultimately we put on experimental liquid ventilation in very early in my career. And she recently graduated from college and her mother was so impacted by all of us, she went back and became a NICU nurse. You just don't know. So to continue with all of the positivity surrounding um, becoming an NNP or being an NNP, um, after listening to all of your heartwarming stories, do you have any final thoughts um, that you could share with everyone as far as you know, how we can correct this nursing shortage or how we can inspire? buyer NNPs to become preceptors and, you know, pay it forward? I think that for me, you go to work every day into a unit that you love with, with friends who are like family, with, with babies and families that you care about. And the way we can all make it better is to grow our own. So if you are a NNP 
look around your unit, see who you can encourage, see who you can mentor, see who you can precept, talk to your administration about providing, um, you know, tuition reimbursement or support to, because if you are hiring from within, those people are already loyal to your institution. You already know them. You, they already are, are raring and ready to go. If you're a staff nurse, look at the NNPs that you work with. And um, if you don't work it with any NNPs, you know, ask yourself why that is. What's, what's going on in your unit? How can you grow from inside? How can you stretch a little bit? It's so great to just try to, you know, stretch your brain in a different direction. And don't be afraid. Ask questions. Think about going back. Think about um, how much you can impact the care of your babies and your families right there at the bedside as an NMP um, after you've been a staff nurse. You can stay at the bedside. You can, you can move beyond the bedside. Um, you can move into um, creating more opportunities for the babies and the families in your unit. So um, really we have to just look in the mirror and say, we can do this. Um, we can improve this, the shortage of NNPs. We can improve um, the care our babies get uh, by, by looking internally and growing our own. It's a win-win for the institution, for the staff nurse, and for the NNP. Michelle, I agree 100%, and I could not say it any better than what you have just said it. So I think it's important that you utilize the knowledge that you've gained via this podcast, that you network with people, check on the website at NAN for any programs that you might consider attending. They're all listed there. Do your research, but we would love to have our bedside neonatal nurses apply as NNPs. Thank you so much, Michelle and Bobby, for joining us today and inspiring all of us to maybe take the next step in our career and become an NNP. And also maybe, you know, paying it forward if you're an NNP now and let's let's resolve this nursing shortage so, you know, we can have the best outcomes for our babies because that's really why we're all here. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Jill. There is so much to cover within the realm of APRNs, and the conversation can't end here. To keep the discussion going, make sure you subscribe to NANCAST so you'll never miss an episode of our APRN series. Bobby and Michelle will be back with special guests to highlight fellow APRNs, raise awareness on issues affecting care and practices, as well as supporting students and new APRNs as they embark on their new journey. We are excited to bring you even more NANCAST. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day. <music>